The other one that I'll throw in for myself is actually going and talking to a lawyer. I'm sitting down and she pulls out a bunch of papers and she's like, so when you split your house and you do this and when you get to have the weekdays with your son, how many weekends are you trying to fight for with your husband that you have? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, no one's gonna win here. Like there is no win. Welcome to Marriage Mavericks. I'm Josh. And I'm Cassie. In this show, we give you practical strategies and real stories to help you fall back in love, rebuild trust, and rekindle the sex and intimacy in your relationship, even if divorce feels inevitable. Whether you listen together or separately, our goal is to provide you the tools to heal your marriage from the inside out. All this information is 100% free, so please share and enjoy. Hey there, Marriage Mavericks. One of the questions we always get is, what is your background? What's your story? And sometimes that's about our professional background. How did we get here professionally? What have we done in the past? Sometimes it's a story of our marriage and how we got here. And honestly, in this line of work, it's essentially the same story. So what we're going to do, we're going to tell you the story of how we fell in love, fell apart, fell in love again. And in the process, how we discovered the principles that have allowed us to help so many other people. And it's kind of a a crazy story, right? That involves like me being handcuffed to a table the first time we met, which got told at our wedding by our best man, which was funny. Maybe divine intervention, almost dying in a car accident on Cassie's side, murder and mayhem, and a whole lot more. So we thought, hey, first podcast episode, we get this question enough, probably the place to cover that. So I think maybe we should start off with the story of how we met, yeah? We met back around 2004, somewhere, somewhere. It was 2004, because I went to the army in 2003. Yeah. It would have been in 2004. I was trying to think of what time of year, though. I knew it was like oh, 2004. Man, it was freaking idea. Some, some, some period of time in 2004. I say that. We might have actually met for the first time in 2003. Yeah, because we met for only like a little bit and, and we didn't really care too much for each other. We met through a mutual friend and uh, our first actual like face-to-face meeting was... We did not like each we other. We didn't like each other. We didn't. I, I thought you were like a little warmongrel because you had your army pants on and your wife beater and your army tags. And, and your, you were a hippie. And I was a hippie. And we didn't really get to know each other in that interaction, but we both just didn't really have a whole lot of interest in each other. It certainly wasn't love at first sight. Everybody <laughs> talks about love at first sight. No. And it was not love at first sight. I told my friend, I'm like, she's trouble. I don't even know why I hang out with her. I think we each separately had a conversation with our friend of I, how are you even I told cool him, I with don't this know person? How. I, did, I told him, I don't know how you could hang out with this well, guy. Well, we were, we were young. I would have been 19. I was, Yes. You would have been 19 at the time. 18 or 19. It depends on exactly the time of year. I don't yeah. remember. And you were, what, 21? About to turn 21. Somewhere in there, yeah. And the thing is, I think like a lot of people, we certainly didn't come into the relationship set up to succeed. I mean, this was my first relationship. And see, I had quite a few relationships. And my relationship before you was really a train wreck. Uh, I was trying to find a a more nicer way to say it, but I don't don't think there is. The person that I was with, he used drugs. He was emotionally and physically abusive. 
and violent. You had a restraining order for a long time after we were together, and we spent a lot of time in court. Yeah. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that story. It's pretty dark, but I came from a very, going from a very nasty, bad, unhealthy, toxic relationship to being with you. And that was the job. So we both came in messed up in our own ways. And we're only getting into a part of it for each of us, but everybody's got their own stories. And I said, it wasn't love at first sight. So we met, I was on leave from the military and we met, we told a friend, we're like, what, this other person's weird. Why do you hang out with them? Blah, 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 went our separate ways. And then we came back and I was... Staying with the same friend. I was staying with the same friend, but I was um, transferring out to Colorado Mm -hmm. at the time. Supposedly, and we'll get into this story, but to deploy. And at that time, we met again. And this is where we get into that, that best man speech story. I don't know how much of this you want to go into, but... I can talk a little bit about the story. So it still wasn't love at first sight. We uh, very degrudgingly decided that we would spend time together because our friend was coming home from work and said, hey, can you guys hang out until I get there? It was coming up on his birthday and he wanted to hang out with both of us. And he said, hey, can you just hang out at my house for a little bit until I get off work? And I was like, cool, until I knew that Josh was going to be there. And then I was like, ah, really? Uh, I guess I can put up with this guy for (laughs) a couple of hours until you're off work. And we were there. And for the first couple of minutes, we really didn't interact. And from my take on it, I felt like you were doing like the I'm cool military guy thing. Oh, this is look at my gear. Let me tell you about my military experience. And I'm telling you from my perspective of what I saw. I'll be honest. And I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but you know, my memory isn't the best. So like, <laughs> I remember where we wound up. But if you're asking me, how did I see you? When you showed up at the house, I, I don't remember, I'm being fine. honest. I know, your memory's not as good as mine. But my, my, my perceived reality at the time was, here's this guy who is trying to show off a little bit. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the military and I've been learning this. And finally, we got to a conversation where you were going over some of your gear and I was just like, yep, huh, whatever. And you were talking about these like handcuffs that you recently got that you were like super proud of. And you did the guy thing and talked to me like, so do you want me to show you how to use these and so on and so forth? And I was like, sure. And I took them and I actually clinked Josh's arm with them and hooked him to the table. That was our friend's like metal table. And I think the expression on your face was, oh my gosh, this chick is crazy. And then it um, was love. <laughs> and then it was love at first sight because it got us flirting and laughing. And, and I was just going to say you were crazy and that was cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to pull any punches on it. But uh, it got us laughing and flirting and it went from there to like kissing. And that was kind of history from there. It got really passionate from that point forward, which I think was very confusing for our friend because he came back and he was like, you guys seem like you're really getting along now. (laughs) Whereas we hadn't really shown much interest before. Well, this is where the strange coincidence come in. And I said before, possibly divine intervention, depending on, let me put it this way. It's one of the things in my life that most makes me lean towards the divine that's happened. Because as I said, I was on leave. I was supposed to be transferring to Colorado. 
And it's still so weird looking back, all the things that lined up for us to actually wind up together. So I was, I was going out to Colorado. I was supposed to be part of a unit that was deploying out to Iraq. This was during that whole period. And it was just like one thing after another that happened. And if, if any of those things had gone differently, we probably wouldn't have wound up together. So like I'm, I go to the airport, as I said, I'm going, I'm going to Colorado, I'm going to deploy. I have a safe in my luggage and the TSA can't get into it. So I'm about to get on the plane. They pull me off the plane. They pull me out of my luggage. We go through it. It's fine. But by now I've missed my plane. So that's coincidence one. And then I get on another plane later in the day. I go out. I'm flying. We're laying over somewhere. I don't remember where. I honestly have no idea. Then there's a storm and my plane's grounded. And I have to, and that, that's coincidence number two. And then there's no other plane leaving until a day and a half later. So now this is coincidence number three. And so I finally get to Colorado and I go and I check into my unit and they're like, oh, uh, so it's good to have you here. This is awesome. But we just filled the numbers of the people we're sending to Iraq, three people before you. We requested more people than we needed. And at this point, we don't need anybody else to go to Iraq. So you're going to stay here in Colorado and train as an armor and stuff like that. And it's just still so weird to me because me being in Colorado and us being able to talk every day and all that, I mean, that's eventually what led to us continuing the relationship and being together after I got out of the military and so many weird things mm -hmm. that I still can't explain lined up to make that happen. Well, and on my end, there was like the weird things. I wasn't supposed to be at our friend's house. That was because I was going to a mechanic and my car had a breakdown and there was all these other things on my part that I shouldn't have been there either. So it was just really amazing how we ended up aligning and then being able to spend three, four really kind of passionate days of getting to know each other and kissing and making out and all of the Talking things and, and, yeah. and, and spending the time. And it went really amazingly. And while you were away, we got to keep in touch. And one of the things that I always loved was when you talked to me, you were like, when I come back, we're going to be together. Mm -hmm. And I did. And eventually I did came back mm -hmm. and we were together. We kept in touch while I was gone. And we were really passionately, deeply in love. As we said, it wasn't love at first sight, but it was certainly love at, I don't know, second or the third or however you want to put that. One thing that I always like specifying people when I'm talking about the story and I'm talking about how in love we were was it wasn't perfect. As I said, we both came in pretty damaged in our own ways. We've only gone into a little bit of it for each of us. So we both came in pretty damaged in our own ways from different experiences. And we had no communication skills. When we fought, we fought. It was bad. But we were just so passionate and so in love. And when we got married in 2007, we were still just as in love, I think, as the day that we were when we met. And if you had told us at the time that... A few short years later, we'd be talking to lawyers and trying to figure out how to split up the equity in the home and what was happening with our son. We would have told you you were crazy. There was a period of time where no matter how bad things got, never talked about breaking up. That was the rule that we had. Yeah. And how we got there to that point, I feel like is kind of crazy. And it's also where our professional lives start to come in, which I suppose makes an interesting twist 
So do you want to talk about how we started to get into teaching or do you want me to start on that? I can start. So we, we started to do some teaching. And so we mentioned the passion and we mentioned the connection and our sex life has always been really amazing. We've always had that physical connection as far as the intimacy. Even when nothing else was right, we had that. <laughs> even when we were arguing all the time, even when uh, things were, were very, very bad, that was one place that we were able to connect. And so we started getting into wanting to help other folks improve the intimacy in their relationships. Well, for, it started though, because we're the kind of people who anything that we're passionate about, we want to improve. So we're passionate about sex, we're passionate about intimacy, cool. We want to improve that. So we started going to classes and workshops on sex and intimacy. And so a lot of that stuff on a smaller scale is very volunteer taught. Mm -hmm. And a few months into doing that, we got invited to teach a class. I think it was five, 10 other people mm -hmm. we were teaching a class for. And it took off. Like you fast forward a year and we became recognized as experts in those circles of sex and intimacy. I mean, we were presenting at conferences. You were teaching at colleges. I wasn't able to teach at colleges because of my job, but you were teaching at colleges. And it was a really awesome period. And we did that for about four years. Is there anything you want to say about that before we kind of transitioned? Aside for that, it was a lot of fun. It was I, I, so much fun. It was, because we got to have really fun, enjoyable conversations with people. We got to see how that fulfilled their relationships and brought people up. And it was very exciting. And going out and teaching at colleges and on, on intimacy, things like that, just was a blast. Like I said, we did that for about four years. And then in 2011, there was this big sea change in the public dialogue where there was a bunch of books and a bunch of shows, and all of a sudden, everybody was not only looking to spice up their marriage, but it was also now okay to like talk about mm -hmm. publicly. And at the time, even though there was a big sea change, that education was, it was really hard to find. So we decided to take our experience, step in, instead of us just now teaching, we were gonna put together some big educational events where people could learn how to have better sex, and intimacy in their marriages. So get a bunch of other teachers, advertise publicly. And this is where you kind of made a career jump, right? <laughs> a big one, <laughs> a leap really. So I had been actually going to school to be a teacher. I was doing internships, working in schools, etc., And I went from that to just deciding, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this leap and start doing this full time helping couples up-level their, their, their intimacy and their relationships, and I shifted. You got to start going on the news and yeah. on radio stations. And I mean, you did like a whole PR tour <laughs> for, I don't know, a year? About a year of magazine interviews and radio station interviews and TV shows and like all kinds of stuff. It was really cool. Um, I know you had a lot of fun Ton, doing that piece. Tons of articles. So many articles, so many, so many things. I'm saying it's a blast and Cassie's over here like, oh my God. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but looking back on it, it was go, go, go. It was, it was a lot. It started really picking up. 
and that's the thing because it was fun at first, but over two years, it really actually became the thing that destroyed our own marriage. So plot twist there. And I don't want to go too far into this, but I think for people who have never done it before, it can be helpful for them to understand like why what we were doing there and those kind of events are so consuming. I think that there's a, a different level when you're trying to do bigger events, conferences, things like that. So first of all, just as a overall feeling and emotion of it is you're working really hard to build something that you're doing once every six months or four months, something like that. So it's go, 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 go. It's plan, 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 plan with a lot of anxiety around how is this thing at the end of six months going to turn out? So there's a big push. You also have lots of people that you're managing. So it's a huge team of people who have teams under them. And the, the issue is, is that because you're, you're advertising, there's a lot of touch from person to person. And so there's so many things that you're having to do. You're having to go out to things. You're having to take time away from your family to go present at this other event, to advertise your event, getting on those shows that you were talking about, the TV, the, the radio, the magazine. There's something every day. And it's just go, 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 go. It's really consuming. And I'll tell you, flat out side note to people here on this, running big events, super fun, most stressful business model ever so we enjoyed the ones we put on but most stressful business model i think that you can possibly run and so it just kind of ate our lives up and by the way i'm still working full-time i'm working full-time as a detective working violent crimes in a major city so i'm getting called in the middle of the night and going for days at a time on top of this and it just I mean, the problems started off small at first, like skipping vacations and blowing off date nights and, you know, a snappy word here and there. But over the two plus years, we did these events. Our marriage honestly turned into something that we didn't recognize. And I don't know about you, but I hated it. Oh, yeah. We started arguing. And this was what was interesting. It started with the events and the, the event? business it did not stay there. No, it went from events and business to money to time. time to how we were connecting to how we were co-parenting together to just about every piece of our relationship and life started getting entangled in this mess mm -hmm. of just not good. Yeah, I mean, the, the connection faded besides the sex. Like I said, that stayed even when stuff was bad, but the actual... Romantic love, that went out the window. We started avoiding each other. And that rule that we'd had initially about not talking about breaking up, that went at some point. And when it went, man, it went. Yep. Like we were talking about it constantly. And the other thing with doing this at the same time we were running these events, personally, and I have to imagine it was the same for you, sometimes I felt like an imposter. I mean, our sex life is great, and that's what we were teaching. And so on. we weren't teaching something that we were failing at, but man, it was rough running these conferences about sex and intimacy. Meanwhile, we're falling apart. 
Yeah, it's there's nothing harder than having someone come up and be like, oh my gosh, you guys have to be so passionate and connected for all this stuff. And you're like- We're one of those things. We're, yeah, yeah, there's definitely sexual passion. You're absolutely right. Like it, it burned to have those kind of conversations and know that behind it all, we were falling apart. Real quick, so we are on a mission here to save marriages and save families, and we need your help. We're not charging for this information. We don't do sponsorships. Our only ask is that you pay it forward so others can get the help that they need. Leave a review on iTunes for this podcast, share it on your Facebook, whatever. That minute you take, it might just be the thing that helps someone keep their kids under one roof and have an amazing life. They'll be grateful, and so will we. Sometimes people ask, what was the lowest point that you two hit? And it's probably different for both of us, and I'd be curious to hear for you, but I'll tell you for me, I can't point back to one moment and be, oh, that was the worst. But there's a handful of things that I remember. I remember you sobbing on the floor because I destroyed your teddy bear during an argument. I remember, this is not one time, this is multiple times, being out driving around and not wanting to go home because we were going to fight, but not wanting to go to anybody's house because then they would know what was going on. And for some reason, driving back from Home Depot, arguing about who was going to get the equity in the house. I don't know how that happened at Home Depot. And I remember that one. And then last thing for me, is, I mean, there's too many moments, but the time that we were separated, I don't know if you remember this, you were staying at your parents mm -hmm. and you'd been gone for a while and we were going to meet up and see if we could work through things. And we met at this coffee shop. It was the first time I'd seen you in a week, like, two weeks. It was like two weeks. And we went into that conversation and I left feeling more hopeless than when I went in. I don't know. What about you? <laughs> oh, um, so for me, I'll just do three because you already named some of the like really burny things that now I'm 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 over here already like. Oof. So there was the time that we were arguing so bad that at a red light you got out of the car and just left and was like, I'm gonna walk home. And mind you, like, we're miles away from home. And you were just like, I can't be in this car anymore with you. And that really hurt me. There was a time that our son came to me and it was at a point where we had been arguing and you left and he was like, so what's gonna happen? And I asked him, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, if you and dad, you know, get a divorce, who am I going to live with? And nobody wants to have that conversation with their kid. Do you need a minute? <laughs> yep, I need a minute. The other one that I'll throw in for myself is actually going and talking to a lawyer. I uh, I didn't find out about this till later. Yeah, and I I 
I was like, I need to talk to somebody because I want to be protected. And I'm sitting down and she pulls out a bunch of papers and she's like, so when you split your house and you do this and when you get to have the weekdays with your son, how many weekends are you trying to fight for with your husband that you have? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, None, no one's going to win here. Like, there is no win. I've spent a lot of time thinking over the years of how did we... You okay? <laughs> Those things are rough, man. They're, they're, they're hard and... Even thinking back on them, and it's interesting because thinking back on them, it's harder from this place where we are so happy and we have such a great life to think that we could have missed that train. This is one of the things that I think makes us good coaches is... You have a lot of people who either were never there or they were there, but they forget. And here's, here's what I realized in hindsight about how we fell that far. As I said, I've thought about it a bit. It wasn't our communication, although that sucked. And it wasn't my work schedule or your work schedule, although those were hard. We were doing what everyone does, I think, at some point, which is we were, we were coasting, we were living unconsciously, we were sleepwalking through life and we were focused on everything else. Work. Uh, trying to renovate this house. <laughs> teaching. I mean, all the things that were less important and we, we weren't putting the time and effort into our marriage, we weren't growing as people, we weren't growing as spouses. And everyone's always looking for the root of how do we get here? But I think for everyone, that's usually the biggest piece. You have that lack of focus on the marriage. And when you compound that over time, I mean, or it took us, it took us to a place of misery and the edge of divorce, even though we were amazingly happy at one point, right? Just, just that lack of focus. And this is, this is kind of the power of inertia. When you hear us talk about inertia, this is where that concept has its roots was in seeing the trajectory of how we wound up in that place of being right at the brink. We didn't realize that's what it was at the time, but it is. As if that wasn't stressful enough, I guess I need to tell a story about what kind of woke me up and shook me out of that. Yeah, I think that would be an amazing story to share. Yeah, but this is just as hard for me to talk about. Only have to do it once. All right, so this is the story. So I was still working as a detective. Uh, I was in Southeast Baltimore. And I was in an interview with a partner and somebody we were interviewing. And my phone rings. And it was on Star. Like, hey, this is OnStar. Your wife's been in an accident. We're going to connect you. And they put me through 
and it's Cassie. And she's telling me, hey, I've been in a car accident. I'm, I'm bleeding. I don't know where I'm bleeding from. The car's smoking. I think it's on fire. I, I can't get, I'm trapped in the car. I, I can't get out of the car. I bailed on that interview so fast. <laughs> I had a good partner because I don't even know what happened with that guy. I just left. And I, I'm speeding up the shoulder. I made a 60-minute drive in maybe, shame me talking about this, maybe 30 minutes, <laughs> I'm saying, publicly on a recording. And I stayed on the phone with Cassie for 30 minutes while they're, they're trying to cut her out of the car. And then I have to get off the phone because I'm on OnStar and they finally get her out of the car. They're taking her to the hospital. And I don't know if she's alive. I don't know if she's dead until I actually get to the hospital. And that experience for me, that gave me the dose of reality that I needed. That, that reminder of how short a life we have to live with the people we love, that was enough for me to knock me out of that sleepwalking state and to make fixing the marriage a priority. I have to assume it did the same for you. I don't know if we've ever actually verbalized that. Usually it's me telling the story. Yeah. So from my, my perspective, it wasn't actually talking to you on All-Star. It was actually right before the car accident happened. So I'm in the car with my stepmother, and there's a truck that's obviously speeding, loses control, flips the truck on top of our car, and I'm, I'm trapped inside. And as the truck is flipping and like everything goes black, I had a moment of, this is it. And I don't know if you remember, but... That morning was a chaotic morning. We kind of said some snippy things out the way. We didn't kiss each other goodbye. And I was thinking for myself, like, that's it. Like, this is how I'm going to go. This is the legacy I'm leaving. And it was definitely a big wake-up call for me because I was like, this is, not, this is not the end of the story that I want to have. And I wish that was the end of the story in some ways. <laughs> I wish I could say that we had that realization and we had that wake-up. And we said, we're going to put this marriage first. We need to fix it. We need to make this priority. We need to get this back on track. And it was smooth sailing from there, but it was not. No, no. It was not. And we very quickly learned how hard it was to heal a marriage and how much most of the information out there just sucked. What did we try? We read numerous books. We went to several counselors. Uh, we listened to tons of podcasts and I mean, we, we just, everything that we could eat, we ate, right? Like we, we tried multiple different, and when I say we went to counselors, like we went to a, a couple of different counselors trying to get some kind of different perspective or feedback or something that was going to be what made it work. And we read the books and we wound up fighting about what's in the books and we went to counseling and we had a couple of really good counselors. Oh, yeah. Really good counselors. But we would go and we'd sit there and we'd drag each other through the mud for an hour. I dreaded going to counseling. Yeah. Counseling was the worst day of the week. We would go. And you have all this anticipation for how bad it was going to be. Then we get there and we drag each other through the mud for an hour. And then we'd leave feeling worse than we went in. And we'd probably argue the whole way home about it. Many times. I don't want to say we made no progress, but it was definitely, you take one step forward, 
you take two steps back. Maybe if it's a good week, you take two steps forward and one step back. Maybe, not most of the time. And a lot of times we would go and then with the way you described it, dragged each other through the mud, we would have an argument, we'd fight on the way back about what was said and how we felt about it. And it would be this whole thing. And then even when the argument stopped, we would have a, a like a regrouping period of two days before we really wanted to interact on a intimate, especially emotionally intimate level. We were We were very disconnected and very, very much in a spot where it would cause us to want to avoid each other even more. So the things that we were going wanting more of, we actually ended up having less of. This went on for a long time. And the breakthrough came when we took everything that we learned in years of teaching and then all the researching that we'd done and then all the counseling that we'd done and then we started applying our own tweaks and then we experimented and then we failed. And eventually we started to develop the tools and the strategies that would you know, eventually become relational synergy and the foundation of what we do in our practice now. But it took a few years to do that. And those years sucked. It was really so bad. In some ways, it was worse than before. Because before, we're focusing on everything else and we're arguing and we're fighting and we're ignoring each other and it sucked. But now we're trying to fix it and we're spending so much time and so much energy and so much time around each other just feeling more miserable and more hopeless. I was going to say, I think the hopeless factor is even more because when you start to try to fix something and you can't fix it, that makes you feel more hopeless than before you tried to fix it and it wasn't fixed. This answers a question that we get sometimes from people, which is, is it possible to heal a marriage on your own? And I think the answer to that's obviously, yes, it's possible, but I don't think it's likely. I think the only way we got through it is that We had a lot of grit, tenacity, and we're both incredibly stubborn. I think that really is what pushed us through getting through You're saying it like a joke, but really, honestly, truly. Yeah, no. Those years were so rough that if either of us had been any less stubborn as people than we are, the marriage would not have made it through. And you've got to add to that. We weren't coming into this blind. We've been teaching on connection and intimacy for years. We've been consuming all of this stuff, trying to fix our own marriage afterwards for years. Is it possible to fix a marriage on your own? Sure. But I'm pretty convinced that the only two reasons we made it out the other side was A, that skills that we already had, and B, pure stubbornness and just the ability to withstand way more pain than we probably should have before quitting. Should have is maybe not the right word. Way more pain than I think most of you have the capacity to sustain before quitting. So it took a while. But as I said, we eventually started to develop the tools and strategies Mm -hmm. that kind of underlie relational synergy. And we started to build inertia. And our marriage started getting better. And I mean, it, it transformed. Yeah. And we got back to a place where we started to feel like the us that we were when we first got together, where it was exciting to see each other, where not just the sex was good, but there was that actual connection and emo- like the, just 
there's a difference between, oh, I'm interacting with you and I can't wait to put my arms around you and kiss you and make out with you. And for me, since we were, we were doing shares about the negative, I'm going to do a positive share real quick. Mm. I got back to a point where I put my fingers in your hair and this was when you were keeping it a little shorter, but you still had a little curl. And I remember feeling the curl in your hair and being so present and excited just to feel that in my fingers. And that had been gone for so long. Like we got back to that point where the little things just so impactful and positive. Or being excited to come home or having a conversation and getting through it. Even a hard conversation. We had plenty of hard conversations around kids and all kinds of stuff, especially. But being able to get through it instead of blowing up and being able to have holidays and time together and enjoy it rather than knowing it's just gonna be another ruined experience. Things got great. It took time and it took that inertia. But once we figured those strategies out and once we started applying them, I mean, the love, the connection, the passion, I don't even want to say that we built what we built when we first got together. We built a marriage that was new because as I said, when we first got together, we were screwed up. Oh, I said it felt like I felt like that, that, that energy felt very new and exciting, but it was far better than what it was. And I think that's the opportunity for everybody is that when you have, you know, these dark nights of the soul in your own marriage, the only way that you come out of that is to build a new marriage that is better than what you two had before. That's more loving, more connected, more passionate. That's certainly what it was for us because when we did get it back on track, Yeah, we had the connection and the intimacy, but we also could have conversations. We also weren't biting each other's heads off. And we were also even happier to see each other. And we were better for our kids to be around, certainly. Uh, We had the one son at the time. So it really changed things. And this kind of swings us back again into the professional story of how we got into marriage coaching because we started to post some of these strategies these little pieces of the strategies of how we had transformed our own marriage and people started grabbing up on them. They started noticing that what we were teaching, it was different. It was practical. It worked. And very quickly, the stuff that we were putting out on the relationships got way more attention and was more helpful to people than all the sex stuff and all the intimacy stuff and everything that we had been doing before. And this is where you actually wound up transitioning initially from teaching, which we had been doing for years and years and years and years at that point, into coaching. Do you remember how that happened? Yeah. Talk about coincidences again. Sometimes that's how life goes. So I was teaching at an event because that's what I've been doing. And I had the organizer of the event reach out and he said, hey, we're doing some prizes for a charity raffle would you be open to doing like a, a, a free session or two uh, as a giveaway, like intimacy coaching sessions as a giveaway for those prizes? And you know me, I'm big on, on giving back and, and those sort of things. So I'm like, sure, why not? And so when the folks won, this was what the interesting thing was, is that while it was framed as intimacy coaching, what everyone wanted was actually help with their relationships. Because it was like five or 10 people, some huge number of coaching clients that 
got sent through this. Well, there was some that were free. And then there was other people who knew that these people won and then reached out and asked for sessions as well. Well, and again, that's what was so mind-blowing about this because we'd spent years building up reputations as Saxon intimacy experts. And we were well known Mm -hmm. for that in those circles. Very well known. And yet, what had caught everyone's attention was the, you know, at the time, little bit of information that we'd put out on the strategies that we used to heal our own marriage. And people wanted that. And it worked. And almost overnight, that became the kind of coaching that you were doing. Yeah. And this was even with like previous folks that I had taught previous clients. Like when we started having these conversations, that's what they really wanted. And that was really the switch where you hopped into that full time and you've been coaching in this space ever since. I was doing it for a while part time. I came on full time about five years ago. And what's been so cool has been that we have been able to continue to refine those strategies. The more success that we've had, the more people that we've helped, we've had the ability to just refine those skills more and more because we've been able to test those strategies over and over and over again in different kinds of situations to see what works and what doesn't. We've been able to refine our own skills as coaches. So the way that coaching works is it's about who you train with mm-hmm. to become a good coach. And we've been able to work with coaches who are, they coach the people who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They coach Olympic athletes. I just did the numbers on this for this episode. And I don't know if you realize this, we spent $150,000 on training in the last four years. Did you know that? Not that exact number, but it does not surprise me. And we spend, I don't know, probably about a month out of the year right now in training. In so training, we, yeah. We've been able to continue to improve our own skills. We've been able to continue to, as I said, test these with more and more people and to adjust the strategies to get people even better results. And I don't know about you, but I love this work. Oh, I, I, I absolutely do. There is nothing more fulfilling. And I love what we do. I love our clients. I love the amazing stories that they get to, sh- to they get to share, and which is their results, right? It's the results that they get working with us. But I absolutely love hearing their wins and how happy they are, and all of that. Oh, my husband came home after six months. Oh, my wife looked at me. I've been here two weeks, and my wife pulled me up in the pantry and looked at me a way that she hasn't looked at me in longer than I can remember with that longing. This is just today. Those two wins were from different clients today. It's amazing. And we've, at the time that we're recording this, we've had 176 clients in this space specifically since we've made all these moves that we talked about. This last iteration of everything that we talked about. We've helped 176 clients in this space. We've had a 93% success rate. As I said, I love it. I can't, I had a job before that I loved. I was a detective for 13 years. You probably picked up in the story. I was good at it. I loved it. I worked with great people. I worked homicides for most of that. And I got to help people that way. And it was amazing. And it was an exciting, fulfilling job for uh, you. It was exciting and it was fulfilling. And I loved it. But having people be in a spot where they're... My wife came home. The divorce papers are dropped. My kids have seen the change. And now like, they're going to have mom and dad. It's just... It's fantastic. And personally, because that's been the whole theme of this podcast, moving back and forth personal, our relationship right now is so great. It's so great. 
just trying to think of the last time we had a really serious argument. Eight months ago, maybe. I, I mean, do we ever have, and, and, and this is the thing, folks, do we ever have disagreements? Sure. Especially as two business owners together. But there are conversations, they get over, and the next day we're going rock climbing with our three-year-old, we're making love, you know, like it, it, it's, not, it's not the same. And I'm, I'm serious when I say this. I do love you even more now than when we first got together. I've got to see you grow. We're a team. I mean, we spend all day, every day together. We run a business together. Mm-hmm. We spend all of our time together. We pretty much do most of our hobbies together at this point. And you're talking about growth, but I've gotten to see who we've gotten to be for our kids. Mm. Like, I am so proud of who you are for our children and who we are for our children together. Like, we've got our son, like, up at college, just totally kicking ass. Like, he's just doing great. Our daughter, she is, she's just excelling at anything and everything, and she's so happy. She has all the emotional skills I wish I'd had at her age. She has all the emotional skills I wish I had when I was 19. Um, you know, like, I'm out, like she, she, it is just amazing. I wish that at 19, I had some of the emotional skills that she has now. So as I said, we're more in love than ever before. Intimacy is still amazing. We've got two amazing kids. We, we get to do this together. It's just, I don't like using the word blessed because we fought tooth and nail to make this, but it's pretty fantastic. I... You know, you you said that, but the way I look at it is we are rewarded Mm. for the commitment, the willingness to sacrifice and everything that we've done. And that's really what we look at in our clients is the people who are committed like that and who are ready to really make that the forefront of what they're doing. And folks, here's what I want to get across to you. This is, this is our story. And I'm sharing it because we get these questions so much. But at the end of the day, more than anything, what I want you to take away from this, it isn't about me and it isn't about Cassie. What I would want you to take away from this is that if we, with all of our, the way we were set up, and past experiences and traumas and no relationships on my side and awful relationships on Cassie's side and going into it incredibly young and kids and all of the other crap life's thrown at us along yeah, the way. And years and years of, of problems. You have to understand there was years of problems that went in before we turned things around. And health issues. And if we can make those shifts anyone can. And so if there's one thing I'd want you to take away from this, it isn't about me and it isn't about Cassie. I think the more important thing that you can take away from the story than anything is that no matter how dark things may be or feel right now, there's hope. Yeah. That if we can do it, anyone can. That's just true. And we've seen that, you know, not in ourselves only, but also in our clients. I mean, we regularly have people, 58% of the people we work with, their spouses are having an affair, 80 plus percent, somebody's talking about divorce, more than half of them, somebody's already moved out. 
it doesn't it doesn't matter where you're at or how dark things may be if you are committed enough and commitment isn't enough on its own obviously like that's it's where it starts but if you are committed enough and you have the right tools and you have the right strategies things can be turned around and i said this before but what's really cool is that when you do that there is something truly beautiful there is a marriage that's even better than what you had before on the other side and in order to keep your family together you're going to have to reach that so no matter how bad things seem and how awful they are and how bad they feel the place that you're in right now is the biggest opportunity of your life <laughs>